Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition, a special edition of Free Association. Obviously, we're going to be talking about basketball, the sport you know and love, but I love this podcast because at times it gives me a chance to talk about the culture around the game, and we're going to do that with two special guests today. Second in the podcast will be Simu Liu, so stick around for that. You know him well from Kim's Convenience, the actor from here in Canada. Well, he's also the newest man from Old Spice. You remember Isaiah Mustafa and the man your man could smell like commercials. He's the new Old Spice guy. We're going to talk to him about that and his relationship with Jeremy Lin, one of your favorite Raptors. But first, Howard Beck. Kobe Bryant's favorite reporter who famously said what up Beck whenever he'd see him we say what up to Beck to figure out what this Kawhi Leonard shot means for the Raptors for the Sixers and for the NBA all that and more on Free Association so if you love the sport you love the game you love great writing you know him well you see his face on NBA TV, you hear his voice on NBA radio, you have read him at the New York Times and the LA Daily News. Currently, you're reading him on your phone via Bleacher Report, and you're probably hearing him just like you're hearing this via a podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever. The Full 48 is the podcast. Howard Beck is the man. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So first and foremost, I want your appraisal, your recollection of what we saw Sunday night as four bounces of the basketball touching every part of the rim, maybe changed the fortunes of two different franchises. When you saw the game winner, the series clincher from Kawhi, what was your first thought? Just wow. Just holy, you know what? I mean, like (laughs) everybody else watching it, you know, you see it, the shot go up and you think, boy, that went really high. I think it's got a chance and then it hits once and it's just, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I have nothing writing on it. You know, I'm not a fan. It's, there's no emotions involved. It's more just the drama of the moment. And this, like everybody else, it felt like that took a minute bouncing around. Like, is it really going to go in? And I thought it might just fall off. And I thought, oh, well, it'll go to overtime. It'll be, it'll still be, you know, be phenomenal overtime in a game seven. I covered one of those once upon a time, a long time ago, LA versus Sacramento. But I thought that's where it was heading. And then it falls through. And then after that, you know, just watching just the bedlam erupt and the emotions of that moment and just trying to process it that, you know, this is one of the all time great shots. I did a radio show earlier in the Bay Area where they were making the case that this was the greatest shot in NBA history. And I said, well, you know, there are a lot of other pretty big shots, Ray Allen in the finals and <laughs> yeah. Fisher's point four and some others that you could put in the discussion. But their point was, hey, no other shot had that kind of stakes and bounced four times. I stood down at that point. You're right. Like for pure drama, you know, there's a lot of shots that are dramatic because of the time left on the clock and the score and what game it is and what's at stake, win or lose. But to have all that going on and to have the shot bounce four times on the rim before it went in um, just added a different element that, yeah, that one stands on its own because of that. I don't know if that makes it the greatest shot in history, but it certainly stands on its own because of the aesthetics and, and just the way it unfolded. Yeah, a guy you know well, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, also hit a couple big shots and big moments. Ray Allen running backwards off the rebound and pass from Bosch when they're literally courting off the court to give the trophy to someone else, I think is still a bigger shot. But I was crazy to see the stat post-game that that was the first Game 7 buzzer beater in NBA history, and like forever is a large sample size. Does that surprise you as much as it surprised me? It surprises me a little. 
you know, there have been plenty of Game 7s. I don't have the list in front of me, but there have been a fair number of Game 7s. You would think that just the odds would be that it would have happened at some point, right? But I don't know what the number of buzzer beaters in decisive playoff games has been, or, or just, you know, even in closeout games, you know, if a game was closed out in five or six even, how many were closed out with a buzzer beater, much less a Game 7? So, you know, if you had just asked me, has it ever happened? I would have thought yes. <laughs> right. Um, you know, like I say, it just underscores how special that moment was. And you alluded earlier to the idea of the fates of these two franchises potentially changing on that shot. We won't know that for a while. I mean, we know there's the basics of it. Toronto's in the conference finals and Philly is not. But in both cases, if these teams stay intact, they both should have many more opportunities. And the real question about consequences and what was at stake is Philly's now sitting there going, well, now what? Are we re-signing Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler and paying a massive luxury tax bill? And are we keeping Brett Brown as coach? And they have to face all those things that happen when you lose. And that could have been Toronto today saying, wow, is that the last we see of Kawhi Leonard in a Raptor uniform? Is he leaving for L.A.? Did we do enough to make him believe in what we're doing? Did we fall too short to make him have doubts now? All those questions would be consuming the Raptors today. Instead, it's Philly facing those. That It always happens this way in the NBA. The deeper you go in the playoffs, the consequences of losing, the weight of it just feels really heavy sometimes. And that's what Philly's looking at right now. You know, timing in our business is everything. The editors that take in our work will tell us that based on kind of aggregators and SEO. And your timing couldn't have been better as on the day before that shot, you put out Beecher Report article on Kawhi, cracking the Kawhi code. And the lead for it really, the, the sell is the Raptors spent the season giving Kawhi Leonard a legit chance at a title, and he's given them a playoff run on par with Goats. But will this season's success keep him in Toronto? for good. And that success got a little bit better when he hit that shot. What did you learn about him and really this situation in reporting the story that you didn't know before trying to literally crack the Kawhi code? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I didn't put this in the story, but when I first started working on it a few weeks back, one of the first people I talked to actually said, yeah, you're not going to get anything. <laughs> I mean, this is somebody who knows him well and was basically like wishing me luck, but trying to brace me for the fact that this is going to be a frustrating endeavor. And it was somewhat. The goal of the story was not to try to figure out what happened in San Antonio. Countless reporters have exhaustively worked on that and tried to figure out this, what happened in San Antonio and gotten very almost nowhere. Or, or, you know, they found out a fair amount of information, but there's a limit to it. We still don't know exactly what Kawhi was thinking, why he made the decisions he did. We may never know because Kawhi is an enigma. And so I wasn't trying to figure out the past and I wasn't going to try to predict the future. You know, where is he going to go once free agency hits? Uh, who knows? What I wanted to know was this moment, this season, him coming back from a year in which he played only nine games because of injury and all that went around it. And a Raptors team that took this big gamble to bring him in, knowing that he may not necessarily want to be there, or at least it was not his first choice. And, how did they kind of all mesh together and get to know each other? And, you know, what I found was that much of what we do know about Kawhi is exactly as it appears. He's a pretty easygoing guy. Obviously, there's no emotional highs and lows that you have to ride with. He is, for all that happened in San Antonio and all the drama that seemed to go with that, he's pretty much a drama-free superstar, which is rare these days in the NBA. You know, you've got stars who are divas and 
who say a lot of things publicly and stir it up or clash with teammates or coaches or just have their demands or whatever. Kawhi doesn't have any of that. He's not badgering teammates. He's not badgering coaches for shots. He's not complaining about role or shot selection or he just goes out and busts his butt and does his job. He's as basic as they come in that regard. And that doesn't mean that he's a basic person. I'm not saying that as, as an insult, there's plenty else to Kawhi below that, that steely surface, but mostly you see what you get with him as an NBA superstar. He plays at at an incredible level. He has diversified and expanded his game. He never leaves you feeling like he kept anything in reserve. And as Kyle Lowry put it, he's a really bleeping great teammate. And, you know, what they got to know about him this year was that he's a little more vocal than they would have expected, that he is as diligent as you would hope. He's a hard worker and that he's just very easy to get along with. And, you know, again, in today's NBA, getting a player who is a a top five caliber player, an MVP caliber player that you don't have to worry about any extraneous stuff with, they just are who they are. They're just going to use their talent to its, their best ability and to your best benefit without any other things to worry about. It's a nice luxury. He is a drama free superstar, but he's, is that way almost in the opposite way of the superstar he's about to face in Giannis. Kawhi, very guarded. Giannis, outside of maybe Steph Curry, I feel like is the most approachable superstar that we have in the game. When you look at those two going head-to-head in the Eastern Conference Finals, what sticks out at you in looking at that matchup? Giannis is interesting because I think there's more personality, more expressiveness, and a little bit just more of a twinkle in his eye as he plays the game, if I could put it that way. But he's also pretty reserved. You know, Giannis has been a subject of of great curiosity and interest for a couple of years already. And I know that he has turned down almost every single one-on-one interview request that he's gotten. I don't mean like five, 10 minutes, like he'll give you five or 10 minutes, but when, you know, 60 minutes is a big feature on him and they're the only ones who have been able to do that every tv show you can possibly think of every publication you could think of has wanted to do some extensive piece on Giannis that would involve him sitting down with them and he has turned them all away and it's it's not because he wants to be rude or anything he just he's solely focused on being a great basketball player he doesn't want to feel like he's diverting attention from that in any way shape or form and so while on the outside he seems like Kawhi's opposite in the sense that he's kind of tried to protect himself or kept some stuff in reserve and not done a lot of that media outside of just the day-to-day. In that way, they're kind of similar. In terms of the basketball, I'm curious to see if those guys are guarding each other out of the gate Hmm. because that'll just be incredible. But I also think it puts both of them in potential foul trouble. And I wonder if the coaches on, on both sides are going to be kind of cognizant of that and going into it thinking, let's save that. Let's start in a different configuration and, you know, hold that in reserve for when you really need it situationally or in in the fourth quarter or something. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. The other commonality between those two guys, for me, other than how hard they play, is where they were drafted or where they weren't drafted. Both picked 15th in the draft, both not expected to do what they're doing now. And even when you look at the Raptors, a team with no real lottery guys playing on them in their four wins away from getting the finals. Lowry and Ibaka picked 24th, Siakam 27, Gasol 48th, and the Bucks built in a very similar fashion. 
does the success that these teams and these players are having change the way maybe teams build their teams and and teams start to really sell everything for draft picks and the way Philly did in trusting the process? It's a great question. And I've written about this and I've talked about it at times and I've always been very curious to see in this era of the NBA where, you know, starting 10 years ago or whatever, 11 years ago, if you want to go to the Celtics being the first super team of this era with Pierce and Garnett and Ray Allen and then LeBron answering by joining up with Wade and Bosch and it's kicking off this whole era of superstar empowerment, superstar movement, and then a fixation by mostly the Sixers, or the, chiefly the Sixers, but, but many other teams, but them most famously or infamously on just saying, well, we just got to get the top pick in the, in the draft, or we got to get one of the top picks. Is there an alternate route? Is there another way? And what the Bucks have done is really rather remarkable in that they never set out to tank. Even the year that they ended up picking second and got Jabari Parker, who's not even with them anymore as they're getting to their highest heights in 20 years, that year they were trying to go for the eighth seed. I think it was the summer they signed Zaza Pachulia and some other guys. Like They were trying to just tread water, and they bottomed out by accident. They ended up with the second pick in the draft. They got Jabari Parker, and he wasn't even the guy who ends up being the savior player that you would think you get near the top of the draft. No, it was Giannis, who, as you point out, was 15th. And a lot of what they've done has just been creative, you know, roster construction and acquiring guys, whether it's late in the draft or in trade, picking up a guy like Eric Bledsoe. They've just been opportunistic and really smart. And that is another way. Now, not every team is going to be able to take somebody 15th in the draft and have them become an MVP type player. You know, Giannis and Kawhi are still by far the exception. And, you know, Rudy Gobert at 27 or Jimmy Butler at 30th. Do you find those guys? They're there. And almost every draft, there's going to be one, maybe two. But, you know, good luck being the team that gets that guy. I mean, Jokic was a second-round pick in Denver. But they'll tell you right off the top, we had no idea he was going to be this good. We saw some things we liked. They didn't know that he was going to turn into a guy who was going to end up being on MVP ballots and be one of the best centers in the league and anchor a team that, you know, had the second best record in the West. So we could say that Toronto and Milwaukee represent a different path forward or that Kawhi and Giannis, I mean, obviously Kawhi wasn't drafted by Toronto. So, but that those players represent that you have an ability to build a contender without having to bottom out, but it's not necessarily a reliable formula to try to replicate any more so than the Warriors drafting Steph seventh and clay 11th, and Draymond 43rd, I think I got those numbers correctly, any more than you can try to go replicate that. It just shows that it's possible, and it shows that you don't have to do the tanking route or the Sixers process route. And, you know, plenty of teams have tanked and failed to get the guy that they wanted anyway and just been miserable. I mean, the Orlando Magic are in the lottery year after year after year and still nowhere. It's a great point, and the, really the emphasis shouldn't just be on draft day. It should be on player development and what you do with that guy once he gets in your building. You mentioned the yes. coaches in this series, and maybe they'll just you know call a truce and say, you know what, Giannis and Kawhi won't guard each other until high-leverage moments, even though they're the best guys equipped to guard each other. I'm fascinated on that coaching matchup because when that ball went in, everyone kind of talked about validation for Masai and making the acquisition for Kawhi given the way he's played. That wasn't the only big decision Masai Jury and Bobby Webster made this offseason. They also said goodbye to their coach that was coach of the year. And the first guy that they talked to is now coaching in Milwaukee and Bunholzer. And they obviously settled on Nick Nurse. 
I'm fascinated to see how it plays out between those guys in terms of X's and O's. Yeah, I mean, look, they both did a phenomenal job. Budenholzer's probably going to be the coach of the year or certainly going to be high on a lot of ballots and he'll, he'll finish in the top three if he's not number one. And I think he's won that award before. I think he got in Atlanta the one year. And so, you know, the Bucks knew what they were getting and the Raptors knew what they were potentially getting when they talked to him, when, when they uh, considered him. Uh, he's a proven commodity. And, and Nick Nurse, you know, as you guys know, he's a global traveler. He's been up, you know, coached all over the place. And his first opportunity, he's done a phenomenal job. He's handled it really well. He's just steady. Players seem to really respond to him. And, you know, it'll be a fun chess match between those two. Having said that, who do you like in the series? I hadn't really thought it through yet, to be honest. I think you're the first person who's actually put me on the spot to make a prediction. No pressure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, no pressure. I feel like it's a coin flip, and that's not a cop-out in this regard. I have said all season, and I'm not ashamed to have said this. I thought any one of the four, and I ruled out Indiana because of Oladipo's injury, but that Boston had the potential to go all the way. Now, that one looks the most foolish, right? They get blown out in five games. But Boston, I thought, had the potential. They certainly had the talent on paper, and the Sixers had the talent on paper, and the Sixers obviously were four bounces away or one bounce away from you know, being in the conference finals themselves. And I thought any of the four, you could take any two of them and put them in the conference finals, and I would have said, yeah, I could see that happening. And any of them could come out and win the East. I, at this stage, now that it is Toronto and Milwaukee, the first thing I think about is the fact that obviously the Bucks have home court and you usually lean that direction. The flip side of it is this. The Bucks have never been this far before. They have some players who have made some playoff runs, but this is all new to them. And in the case of the Raptors, I mean, Kyle Lowry's logged a ton of playoff games in his life. And Kawhi Leonard's a former finals MVP. And Marc Gasol has been in big games. And Danny Green has been in the finals and won a championship. And so I think the Raptors' experience might actually be potentially decisive here. You know, they're a great defensive team and it'll be interesting to see how they deal with Giannis and all that three-point shooting around him because it's really hard to try to corral Giannis and also stick with those three-point shooters. That is the magic that the Bucks created with that roster and that Budenholzer did, you know, created with that scheme. So it's going to be a colossal challenge, I think, for the Raptors. But I think their experience could be decisive. I'm not making a pick right here, but I, I do think that that's the advantage that they have in their favor. And lastly, because there aren't just Raptors fans in Canada, there's basketball fans in Canada. What the hell is going on with the Lakers? <laughs> uh, I, I wish I knew. I mean, that's a team I covered for seven years at the start of my NBA beat writing career during the Shaq and Kobe era. And back then, you know, whatever drama and dysfunction they produced, and they always did, was also accompanied by a lot of winning and some championships. And, you know, most of the conflict was between Shaq and Kobe, or sometimes between, you know, Phil Jackson and any, either one of those guys, and sometimes some front office intrigue, but nothing like this. This just seems like they're rudderless. And Jeannie Buss placed a lot of faith in Magic Johnson as somebody who she's known for her, her almost her entire adult life, and in Rob Polenka, Kobe's former agent, and neither Magic nor Rob had ever done those jobs before. And then Magic left. And there was an opportunity there for Jeannie Buss to reassess, for the Lakers to reassess and say, maybe we need somebody who is a seasoned hand running basketball operations. And I think a lot of people felt like that's what they would do, and they didn't. They, they didn't go out and hire David Griffin. They didn't go out and try to poach somebody's number two somewhere. They just soldiered on with Rob Palenka and then with, you know, uh, Kurt and Linda Rambis, who, again, 
two people that Jeannie has counted among her closest friends for a long time. I just think it's always a mistake for team owners to go with what's comfortable for them. Just, just choosing somebody that they have a relationship with and a loyalty from or a confidence in because they've known them a long time. I get it. I understand the need for that, but it often goes haywire. Uh, Vivek Ranadive in Sacramento hired Vlade Divac when Vlade had no GM experience, no basketball ops experience at the time. And while the Kings have kind of started to recover, the first couple of years were really jagged and they made a lot of dumb moves and cost themselves assets and opportunity because Vlade had never done it before. And I think Jeannie hiring Magic and Rob Palenka was kind of a similar mistake. And so NBA owners, the best bet is go find yourself a really smart seasoned basketball exec who's either run a team before or is the number two of a really great operation. And even if you don't know them, you just got to take that leap of faith and trust them. Because if you decide to instead entrust your team to somebody just because you know them really well, but they've never done the job, you can find yourself in trouble really quickly. And that's the broader process-oriented problem of what the, is going on with the Lakers, to say nothing of all the, the messy details. Right. Well, you are a seasoned hand writing about the game, and you are Kobe Bryant's favorite writer, so maybe they'll be giving you a call to give you some work. Uh, <laughs> people know your work very well. If you're a Raptors fan, you've probably already read it, but you haven't. you got to read Cracking the Kawhi Code. It's on Bleacher Report. And if you're a basketball fan, you're probably already giving him a follow. But if not, it's at Howard Beck on Twitter, an important voice in the sport. Thank you so much for lending that voice to this podcast. Appreciate it, Donna. Thanks for having me. It's a crazy time in sports. It's a crazy time in TV consumption in general. You've got NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs going head to head. Some of your favorite shows, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semis went head to head on Sunday night with Game of Thrones. What is a couch potato like me to do? I get Sportsnet now. Sportsnet in general has you covered on radio if you're in the car. We've got games 1, 3, 5, and 7 on TV. On Sportsnet 1, we've got games 1, 3, and 6. But sometimes life happens. You're not going to be at home in front of your TV able to watch. That's why you need Sportsnet now. It's going to take care of you. Make sure that you can watch 24-7 on the go. Or if you need a second screen experience, if you need to watch your show on television, but you want to monitor the game on the phone, on the Apple Cast, on the iPad, on the computer, we've got you covered. Sportsnet now. Subscribe whenever you'd like and drop that subscription whenever you'd like. But you don't want to miss moments like Game 7, what we saw from Kawhi. The way you do that is subscribe to Sportsnet now. So I selfishly love this platform with Free Association because I get to talk about basketball, get to kind of work through my thoughts and kind of hopes for the team. But I also get to use it as an excuse to talk to really interesting people who are tied to the game of basketball a lot or a little bit who love it just as me. And I think our next guest is certainly, I would say, an example of that. Simu Liu, you know him from his work on TV as one of the stars of CBC's hit Kim's Convenience. You also are getting to know him as the star of the newest Old Spice campaign. He's one of their ambassadors here in Canada. But what you may or may not know, unless you've been sitting around him in the Scotiabank arena, is that he is a hardcore Raptors fan, and he's here to talk about it. How are you, man? I'm doing real good, as I'm sure everybody in Toronto is right now in this moment. I mean, just coming off the heels of such a historic night. And yes, I was lucky enough to be in the building 
for that. And I think, first of all, I've been tremendously lucky in my life. Like I have witnessed three game winners in my life. I don't know if you know this. I was in the building Valentine's Day 2012 when Jeremy Lin sank that. Now that wasn't necessarily a great moment for Toronto, right. but it was a great moment for, for me. Because he's your boy. Because he's my boy. And you know, he sank that game winner and it was incredible. I was also in Cleveland last year for game three when LeBron oh. sank that running floater. Over OG. Over OG, right, exactly. After we had mounted this huge comeback. And that also did not feel great for Toronto. But finally, last night, we saw Kawhi Leonard, of course. The man, the legend. I mean, this is exactly why we brought him. This is why we went through all this load management and rested him 25 games in the season, right? It was so that when it came to moments like this, that he would deliver. And, you know, he did exactly that. And I think it's incredible that in one season, he's managed to become pretty much the greatest Raptor of all time. I don't think you're wrong at all. And it's funny, as you said that, I had mixed emotions. One is I love the fact that you said we, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. you're literally a walking We the North poster. You're wearing We the North gear as we have this conversation. Like you feel so invested in the team, but... On the other side, after you mentioned those first two buzz beaters that you were in the building for, I was like, forget about the Drake curse. Like, there might be a Luke curse. Like, you're Luke killing curse. us right now. <laughs> but it bounced the right way last night. You were in the building. What was that energy like? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I mean, for anybody who watched the game, it was like nail biter from start to finish. I don't think there was ever a double digit lead at any point in time, like just neck and neck. I think something, a gear really turned for us, like in the last maybe two minutes is we just started to show some crazy defensive intensity. We forced two shot clock violations, and then we had a crazy steal with the Pascal layup to put us up. And then, you know, a couple of questionable calls after that against us. But, I mean, I could really feel that we were locked in. And that momentum is what really made me believe that that last shot was going in. I don't know, just something about it. The whole crowd was on its feet. I don't think we sat for the entire fourth quarter. We were just up. We were cheering. I mean, it was really like a great atmosphere to just witness and be a part of, truly. It's funny you say you believe the shot was going in because historically, as a Raptors fan, and you know this because you've been one for so long, Uh you almost expect that shot not to go in, for Vince to miss the graduation shot, for Calderon's pass to Bosch to be stolen against the Nets, for Chris Childs to miss his shot, for LeBron to hit that winner Mm -hmm. against you. You expect to be close and so close, but just not close enough. And finally, last night, it went in the favor of the good guys. Yeah, I mean, look, it is not easy to be a fan of Toronto sport. I mean, you mentioned a lot of heartbreaking basketball moments. There's also a lot of other sport moments, like the Leafs. Like every last Leafs moment, year. Yeah, basically, I for mean, our lives. Let's just call it what it is, right? There is something about that man, though, something that makes me want to believe and, and just... He's kind of put the team on his back. So I think, in my opinion, a little bit too much in, in the last few games. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to learn to like lessen the load on him a little bit. But there's just something about him and the way that he approaches the game that really, I think, makes you believe it's unlike anything. And I hate saying this because I was a diehard DeMar fan, you know, just watching him get better year after year. Yes, it was frustrating seeing him collapse in the playoffs time after time again. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I was initially very salty about the trade just because I do value loyalty just as much as I think he does. And I do appreciate all the love that he's shown the city and how much he's invested But at the same time, you know, I think we were looking for something a little different. That's exactly what we got. It's very 
smart and apparent for you to be the ambassador of Old Spice, you know, a deodorant, because man, like I felt like I was sweating through that entire game where <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Old Spice came in handy last night. I don't know if Kawhi necessarily needs any because he feels like he never gets nervous in any moment. No, he just needed to reprogram his microchip a little bit. Right. And, he's uh, a robot, right? No, he's a robot. <laughs> is he? Is he? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he is. Is that not performance enhancing to yeah. be an actual robot, to be from iRobot and playing? I, I in just the NBA? loved watching his face i was like oh my god like he's really excited yes for the first time for the first time in like life yeah no i did i definitely took a nice long shower after i got <laughs> home from all the celebrating definitely used some old spice body wash really good because it's part of the new fresher collection the one i use is timber it's got real sandalwood in it. it's real ingredients real freshness and that's what we're all about at old spice from the hardwood to the sandalwood and that's a really cool opportunity for you and for an actor in yeah, general totally. you expect it's kind of embody a character and play one and really get into the nuances of it throughout the course of a series over this campaign you're allowed to have a little bit more fun and be a little bit self-deprecating which is part of your personality yeah absolutely absolutely i mean you know I, I think i just told you this but when old spice first approached me with the opportunity i mean i was just like of course it just felt so organic i mean i grew up watching you know the isaiah mustafa ads the yes. look at your man now back at me now back at your man now back at, like it, you know we were so funny legendary yeah legendary and old spice is kind of famous for having that unique personality for a brand which i think is so rare i mean a world that's kind of if we're honest a little bit oversaturated with consumer messaging i think old spice kind of always manages to cut through that and when they kind of showed me the creative that they were thinking about like literally i saw an animated storyboard of me shirtless with the rain falling down on me and i was like this is going to be epic yeah. and you know it's really great too as an asian male being able to embrace that aspect of masculinity that i think traditional western media hasn't necessarily put us in to be able to kind of do that and embody that kind of role of, you know, a little bit macho, but also a little bit funny, irreverent, just very three-dimensional is, I think, a sign of like the progress that we're making and very thankful to Old Spice for kind of being a part of it too. You won't say this, but I will. It's also showing an Asian male as a sex symbol. Like <laughs> you're showing off the ads as a great look. In a very different way, Kim's Convenience has done the same thing where it's showing on a public broadcaster Asian family dynamics, Asian life. How important is that for young Asians in Canada and anywhere to be able to see themselves depicted in media, something that they didn't see when we were kids? Exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We didn't see it when we were kids. You know, I think for a lot of us, we grew up not thinking that we mattered, not thinking that we belonged. And honestly, just generally feeling kind of invisible because, you know, you consume the world through culture. And you consume the world through, especially in our generation, through what we see on our screens and on TV. It's important to see yourself, and it's important to see yourself represented as a three-dimensional character with aspirations, with flaws, but that works on them, and not just as, you know, what we've had historically, which is like caricatures. You know, Kim's has been a huge part of it. It's obviously not the only one. I mean, we're in a world of crazy rich Asians yes. now and to all the boys I've loved before on Netflix and, you know, all that. I think we're finally kind of starting to get to a point where we're starting to be seen. Now, is there a lot more work to be done? Absolutely. But just looking back on the past couple of years and the progress that we've made, and I'm so incredibly proud and grateful that Kim's Convenience has been a part of that. Because not only are we in Canada, I mean, we you know recently released on Netflix. Our first two seasons came out last July. Our most recent one came out this past April. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, it's really important for that to happen and for companies literally on board the corporate sector like Old Spice to be a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really important for me is that we have Jeremy Lins, that we have players now in the NBA and in multiple sports that are showing that, yeah, we are full body people who are not just stereotypical, oh, okay, the Asian guy in my class is good at math. No, Jeremy Lane is good at giving you numbers on the court as well. And as an African-American, yeah, I can aspire and see myself playing basketball. But the basketball, the game is loved by Asians almost more than anybody else in the world. And it it was great. What I loved about Linsanity was Mm -hmm. that it showed that the Asian community is not a niche audience when it comes to basketball. It's a massive audience that needs to be spoken to. And now we're talking about playing regular season games, you know, on the continent, which is really, really important. Yeah. Just talking about Jeremy. I mean, I've had the pleasure of kind of meeting him and kind of getting to know him over these last few months as a Toronto Raptor. And it's just really incredible to hear his story and to learn more about him and everything that he's accomplished for, you know, not just for the game of basketball, because Lynn Sanity was was a moment that I think transcended any sort of like racial or ethnic barriers. It was just an amazing, unbelievable sports story, but also what he accomplished for all of us in the community. I mean, just the fact that there was nobody before him, no Asian American mm-hmm. NBA player, and hasn't been anybody after him in the years after his draft class. Of course, he went undrafted. Mm-hmm. Big oversight. That just goes to show you how rare a player like that is. And then for him to kind of go out on a night where he's literally feeling like he's going to get cut the next day and then drop 26 on the night. I mean, I guarantee any Asian fan of basketball will be able to memorize his games (laughs) from that first New Jersey Nets game to the Utah Jazz game to then the Washington Wizards when he dunked on John Wall (laughs) and then to, you know, the Lakers. He scored 38 on Kobe. And then, of course, the game winner on Toronto. I mean, he lit the world on fire for myself, too. Around the time of 2012, I was dealing with, you know, a lot of things. I had just been laid off as an accountant. I was kind of dabbling in this whole acting thing, not really sure if it was ever going to stick or be a real thing. But watching him, and this is, I'm being absolutely honest, it's not like a bit or anything in retrospect, me trying to sugarcoat anything or make it smoother, but I was literally watching those games and being like, man, if he could do it at that level against all expectations, then maybe I can too. Like it was an absolute inspiration. And it's so crazy now that he's a Toronto Raptor and that I get to have brunch with him once in a while. Have you told him that? I have told him that. It was like hard. <laughs> it was hard for me to get the words out, but I, I think he got the meaning of it. And I think honestly, he's had such a huge cultural impact. I think he's heard it from a lot of people. You know, he's just that much of an inspiration. I think that's why sports is so cool because we learn more about our greater culture, but we also learn in ways more about ourselves and Mm. it can be really introspective and why I think someone like Lynn is really important in this campaign with Old Spice, you know, you you talk about masculinity and manship and what that means and Mm -hmm. uh, the term Mm -hmm. toxic masculinity now. Absolutely. There's a negative connotation towards it, but Lynn is just such a great example of, yeah, it can be multiple things. I can go to Harvard. I can be Asian American. I could be uplifting for the Taiwanese community, but I also can be a really hard competitor. But post game, I could give you like a really intellectual, smart answer and treat you with respect. And if I'm not playing, I can be a great teammate. I can be a great servant to the people that I'm in an organization with. He's not just for the Taiwanese community, the Asian community, the basketball community. He's just a great role model, period. And it's crazy that he's a role model to you, someone who is around the same age, a little bit older. And, you know, now you guys call each other friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's had a huge role in shaping, 
you know, how I feel about race and how I sound off on certain topics as well, because I think he said this in interviews quite a bit before, but in the beginning of his career, journalists were constantly asking him to sound off on the Asian thing. And what, what is it like to be Asian? And he was kind of like, dude, don't ask me that. Like, I'm a basketball player. Respect me for my basketball skills. And um, what he found, I think, as time went on was that like these questions were just not going to go away because the world just wasn't ready. It was so new and so different that they just that was kind of all that they could lock onto. And so he started to see his platform as an opportunity rather than a burden. You know, so he was like, okay, I've got this platform, whether I want it or not. And I could shy away from it or I could like really lean in, step into it and just be that figure that everybody needs me to be. In a lot of ways, that kind of mirrors the profile of the show, because as we came out, you know, on any given day when we're getting interviewed, like we always get the diversity question. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, most reporters will lead with it. How important is it? Or like, talk to me about being Asian, you know? And it's kind of the same thing. You know, we have to decide whether we're going to be like, oh, not another Asian question, or this is an opportunity for us to like represent and really like show how proud we are that we're a part of this community. And yeah, and just not apologize for who we are, stand up tall and like embrace the platform that we're given. Does that bother you at times that the questions aren't about the plot or the subplot or the conflict resolution or the character development or the humor or humility that it is about the fact that the show is different, which is not any fault of yours? Right. No, honestly, if I chose to see it as a bothersome thing, I would just be bothered all day. I would just be cranky. Hmm. I can't allow myself to think like that for somebody who has been given the incredibly rare opportunity that I have. I mean, I was a kid that went to business school and then all of a sudden found himself on one of the you know most highly rated shows on Canadian television. I don't have any room in my life to be that kind of cynical. So I want to kind of frame it in the best way that I can. And again, Jeremy's been a huge part of that, but just seeing it as an opportunity and to say, you know what, it's better that we get that messaging out there and it's better that we have that question rather than not. It's better that we have the show as the only representative than having no representative. And sure, like, do we have, you know, a ways to go? Is there progress to be made in the future? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of work to be done still. But I mean, just the fact that we're right here, right now in this moment, I mean, in 2019, it's really the best time that it's ever been for inclusion, for all of these conversations around diversity. You know, it's already really encouraging. So why choose to be skeptical about it? Yeah, the postseason is long, at least hopefully it will continue to be long. I think there will arise a time when he's going to be needed to contribute. And I hope, honestly, that he ends up being here long term because it's such a great story and it's nice to have it in a city. The team is so diverse. I don't know if you saw Chris Broussard mention that the Raptors are soft because they're from Canada and Canadians are soft, which kind of makes no sense because Chris Boucher is the only Canadian on the team. And he hasn't played in the series. But the team is so diverse with Africans, with Asians, yeah, with yeah, Americans, yeah. that it's a nice representation of the city and the country. And mm -hmm. Jeremy obviously fits perfectly into that. No, absolutely. I wouldn't take too much of what those hot take people say too much, like the Broussards or like the... I even saw like Skip Bayless. You yeah. see those tweets about the shot? Yeah. Just like, man, why? Why? You're just being contrarian for the sake of it. I absolutely agree with you, and I think Toronto is a great home for him. I mean, I mean, there's tons of Asian people in Toronto. Not that you have to be Asian to appreciate what mm -hmm. he's done, but like he's very well liked. I too hope that he's able to contribute in a meaningful way because I think he's more than capable of doing it. Before we let you go, a couple things. One, they're moving on, and I'm sure. 
people will see you at the arena moving forward. Hopefully, they're, they're playing into June and in the finals for the first time. Yeah. But this matchup with the Bucks, how are okay. you feeling? You know what? I feel like, just from a matchup standpoint, I feel a little bit relieved because I don't think we're going to get killed on the boards as much. Both teams are going to kind of design their defenses around the respective superstars like Kawhi and Giannis. So I think the real difference makers are going to be the Pascal Siakans and the Chris Middletons and the Marcus Sauls, you know, and the Brooke Lopez. Brooke, right? It's Brooke that plays on Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Brooke Lopez yeah. is like the talented Lopez. Yeah, the, not the oh. not the one that fights with mascots. Yeah, 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 the yeah. one that hits threes. <laughs> and Lowry, Bledsoe. I mean, mm-hmm. those are going to be, I think, the real deciding factors. And I mean, we've said it before, but Kawhi's been putting the team on his back just so hard game after game in this last series so I think now is the time where really like you need to see these other guys step up take the load off a little bit and come up big and more importantly what's the ab routine like help your brother out you're one of the few people who are courtside. You're looking at the guys on the court and be like, yeah, well, I mean, his body's okay, but it doesn't look like mine. No, Honestly, man. what what is like the regimen? Like, have you never had a donut in your life? What's going on? I do eat a little bit. I, I do I'm, eat a little bit. I'm what, I'm what you call blessed with the metabolism. Oh, okay. But that being so said. So we really should hate you. I don't, I, I don't drink, so I don't touch the alcohol. Okay. And I try to stay off processed sugar as much as I can. So those are my, my two big things. Other than that, like I'm just super active. I try to play basketball a couple times a week. I'm big into volleyball as well. Yeah, just like a generally overall active guy. So I think if you combine active lifestyle with like cutting processed sugar and useless carbs as much as you can, you're kind of in a good place. Okay, so you're not just at home like doing wall sits while watching TV. <laughs> or got the ab roller nonstop. No, and I know that I make a lot of people mad by saying that, and I'm, I'm you do. I genuinely, genuinely apologize, but I, I don't know. I was born this way. Yeah, we call the listeners to this podcast the associates. I think you're gonna have some associates in your mentions, either calling you a flat liar oh, because man. that can't be natural, or just <laughs> green with envy. Look, you can see for yourself. Um, the Old Spice video is out on YouTube. I shot a couple of spots with those guys. I may or may not be shirtless in some of them, so that's a plug for you to <laughs> go and see for yourself. I think the female uh, listeners, 100, percent are gonna be liking, favoriting, sharing, um, and perhaps some male. Yeah, and, and perhaps some male as well. What? is next for you what's going on obviously you've got the old spice campaign but what is filling your days moving forward in the next little while other than playing and watching basketball today actually as of monday may 13th is our first day of principal photography on season four of kim's comedian so that's going to be the big thing but i also have a lot of personal projects that i'm really excited to bring to fruition on one hand i've got a production company that i'm kind of trying to develop long-form content with so that i can kind of further this whole conversation around Asian representation. And so I can be a more active part in that, not just kind of in front of the camera, but also can play a role in kind of helping certain stories get told that maybe don't feature me. The other thing that I'm actually super excited about is I'm setting up a charity basketball game. A celebrity game of a lot of uh, Asian American and Canadian like YouTubers, influencers, actors, celebrities. That's gonna go down in July. So I'm gonna bring a bunch of my homies up from LA gonna maybe play a game with some of the homegrown talent and uh, it won't exactly look like game seven of the playoffs (laughs) but uh, i think it'll be a really fun time well hopefully in that game you cannot just call game call series hit front rim but get four bounces and it goes in this has been really fun man make sure to come through before that happens to promote it and talk about it the door is open oh anytime oh absolutely i'll take you up on that thank you
Well, that was a jam-packed episode. Thank you so much for making it to the end. We are going to be with you to the end of the Raptors run in the playoffs and beyond. We've got the draft lottery coming up. We've got the draft coming up. So much good basketball to talk about. We're going to be talking about it right here on the Free Association Podcast. So thanks for listening. Thanks for liking. Thanks for subscribing. And feel free to share and favorite as well. This has been the Free Association Podcast. Peace.